they think that the only reason we need to eat and drink is so that we can be bodily alive to serve God. We need to sustain our bodies physically so that we can worship God spiritually. But ultimately, it's about our spiritual life. Physical life is secondary. It's only a means to an end. Paul, however, says that our very eating and drinking must glorify God. He doesn't say that food and drink is a means to an end. Not at all. Our eating and drinking has to be done to the glory of God. God does not make a contrast between physical life and spiritual life. That's a platonic idea. Plato taught that you must make a separation between the two in the way that you live. He says that if you want to be a spiritual person, then you have to deny yourself. You have to lead an ascetic lifestyle. The more that you are able to deny the flesh, the more spiritual you will be and the lighter your soul will be. And then when you die, your soul will be so light that it will join with God in heaven. For those who indulge in the flesh, however, their souls will be too heavy. They're going to descend into the realm where the evil spirits live. Today, in a certain sense, you can hear similar talk. Think about the various diet fads. They want you to lead an ascetic lifestyle. They say that you must deny yourself all kinds of foods and drinks. And if you do that, then you will be rewarded with a glorious body. And you will become like a god or a goddess yourself. People will admire you. Get out of life what you can now, because in the end you go to the realm of the dead and you will never see the light of day again. So, but what does Paul say? He says that you must eat and drink to God's glory. God created us body and soul. The body is a drink, but so is the soul. They belong together, however. It is only if you have the proper perspective that then you can find true enjoyment that God gives us in this life. And if you have that perspective, then you'll also have the right kind of diet. I will preach to you this morning about the enjoyment of the Lord in our food and drink. We will look at two things. First of all, the celebration of food and drink, and then finally the restraint with food and drink. The first miracle that the Lord Jesus performed was at the wedding that took place at a place called Cana in Galilee. Apparently, it was a very large wedding. Many guests were invited. Jesus was also invited, and so were his disciples. Mary, Jesus' mother, was there as well. The Lord Jesus was not well known yet at that time, and so most likely he was invited because he was a relative. Now, a wedding is always a joyful occasion, and people like to go to joyful occasions, don't they? We all like to be around people who are celebrating the good things in life, who are laughing, who are having a good time. It makes us feel good. 
but a wedding is never really a success unless there's also good food and drink. During the time of the Lord Jesus, a wine would be readily available at such an occasion. In those days, there was not a lot of variety of drinks available, as is the case today. Today, we can enjoy all kinds of fruit punches and carbonated drinks, but not during the time of the Lord Jesus. And so it would be somewhat of an embarrassment if the wine ran out during the festivities. There should always be enough wine around so that people can enjoy it with their food. Keep in mind that weddings in those days did not just take one day. The festivities went on for a whole week. It appears that the relatives of the Lord Jesus were not very well off. And therefore, it is understandable that the possibility existed that food and drink would run out, especially if there are unexpected guests. As far as, the, as, far as Mary, the mother of Jesus, was concerned, this is a potential embarrassment for the host. She was likely concerned, she was likely very close to either the bride or the bridegroom, and therefore was concerned about their reputation. To run out of food or drink would be a disgrace. And so Mary makes the Lord Jesus aware of what is happening. However, the Lord Jesus says to her, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. The Lord Jesus rebukes her. No doubt the Lord Jesus did this in order to make her aware that he is no longer under her supervision, that their relationship has changed. Jesus has moved on to a different phase of his life. But Mary also knew that he was very special, that the Lord had given him, that the Lord God had given him a very special task. And so Mary tells the servants to do whatever the Lord Jesus would tell them to do. So what does he tell them? Well, by the entrance, there were six stone water jars. Each of them could hold from 20 to 30 gallons of water. This is a lot of water. The Lord Jesus tells them to fill these jars with water, and they did. They filled them to the brim. And then he tells them to draw some water out and to take it to the master of the banquet. And lo and behold, they discovered that the water had been turned into wine. And it wasn't just any wine, it was very good wine. It was a better wine than the wine they had at first. Now, why did the Lord Jesus do this? Because he wanted to save his relatives from some embarrassment? Or because the guests would not enjoy themselves otherwise? Or did he do this perhaps in order to please his mother? Well, that's not the reason why the Lord Jesus turned the water into wine. There was a much greater reason, a much more profound reason. For we know that whenever the Lord Jesus performed a miracle, he does that in order to make an important point. He is always interested in teaching us something. His miracles were designed to accentuate the preaching to focus on the message that he wanted to proclaim. He wanted the people to know who he was and why he came. He wanted everyone to know that he is the Messiah for whom they had waiting, had been waiting, and that he is the Son of God. And he did that by showing them 
that the power of the Father in heaven resided in him. So whenever he would heal someone who was sick, then he would also speak to them about the forgiveness of sins or about the coming of the kingdom. He wanted to show to the people that when the kingdom of God has come upon the earth, that then there will be no more sickness and no more pain. The sin and the result of sin will then be removed. And when he gives bread to the 5,000 people, then he does that in order to show that when the fullness of the kingdom has come here on earth, that then there will no longer be any hunger. But now what about this miracle at Cana? What was he trying to tell? Well, the answer to that question has a lot to do with Lord's Gate 50, with the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. When Jesus and his disciples were invited to that wedding, then he accepted an invitation to a social event and participated in it. And that's what he did throughout his ministry. As far as that goes, he was totally different from John the Baptist. He was a recluse. The Old Testament prophets were like that as well. These were often dour men who most of the time went around in mourning. They mourned because of the sins of the people. But that's not the case here. The Lord Jesus eats and drinks all the time with all kinds of people, and especially with those kinds of people who are known as sinners. And later on, the Pharisees severely criticized him for that. They thought that if he were the Messiah, that he would then not associate with such sinful people. He would only associate with the likes of the Pharisees who saw themselves as righteous. The Lord Jesus doesn't do that. Why not? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, now we come to the heart of the matter. Because the Lord Jesus came to earth in order to celebrate life. He came to earth to restore life to the fullest. He came to earth to do away with sin and with the effects of sin. He came in order to give us a foretaste of what heaven is like. For that is what the Lord Jesus promised that he will be doing in the kingdom of heaven. He will be eating the bread and the wine new with them. He tells us that when the fullness of God's kingdom comes, that then you will be, be able to eat and drink from a source that will never, ever dry up. You will always be satisfied. You will be eating and drinking from Christ himself. In him, you will find full and total satisfaction. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you have been invited to a party. And there are all kinds of things to enjoy at that party. There's plenty of food and drinks and all kinds of goodies in abundance. It's called the party of life. And that is the party you may enjoy as New Testament believers today. That's the good news I can preach to you this morning. The Lord God does not want you and me to go around with dour faces and with downcast eyes. He does not want us to be depressed because of our 
sins. He wants us to be aware of them, of course. But through faith, he gives you the forgiveness of sins. Through faith, he gives you the enjoyment of life to the fullest. The Lord Jesus came in order to restore joy. And gladness. And merrymaking. And that is what the Lord Jesus wanted to portray in the changing of the water into wine. However, there are those who do not agree with such merriment. They think that a religious person is someone who is in mourning all the time. Who only sees the serious side of life. Who realizes how sinful he is and especially how sinful others are. And so he denies himself and wants others to join him in denying themselves all kinds of pleasures to be had here on earth. Paul also had sent to that kind of thinking. For in the city of Colossae, there were some people who were of the same mind. They were newly converted Christians, but they were former Jews. And they did not realize the freedom that they had received in the New Testament. And so what does Paul say to them? He says to them in chapter 2, verse 20 and following, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not take, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so isn't that a comfort? The Lord God gives us festive foods and drinks to enjoy. We may enjoy them all. We do not have to be like the world, which either denies itself all kinds of things, or which knows no restraints. They do all these things to glorify, to worship the body, and to worship material things. Well, if you belong to Christ, then you have a totally different outlook. And Paul addresses that further in his letter to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Some teachings, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Bless the heart of Paul. But now, does that mean then that we can fill ourselves with whatever God gives us and that we can indulge ourselves to our heart's content? Well, of course not. And if that's what you think, then you have not understood the message of the Lord Jesus. As we saw, Paul says that all things must be done to God's glory. That 
means that whatever we do, we do it because we are triumphant, we are victorious children of the Father through Christ. We belong to our Father in heaven. And we do nothing for selfish reasons. We serve God not with our mind, not only with our minds and souls, but we serve Him with our whole being. So that includes our bodies. At least that's the way it should be. That was the reality. But, as it says in Ecclesiastes 6 or 7, all man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Isn't that the way it often is with us in regard to everything that God has given us? We want to satisfy ourselves. We look to our own gratification. And we do that especially as it concerns our food and drink. And so we have to listen to what God says to his people. For example, when he says in Micah 6 verse 13, you will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing because what you save I will give to the sword. Micah comes here with a judgment on God's people, on Israel. He is judging her because of her disobedience and injustice and unbridled indulgence. As part of God's judgment, he said Israel would eat but not be satisfied. And the reference here is especially to the heart of God's people. They have given their hearts over to the flesh. But God says, if you do that, then you will never, ever be satisfied. You will never have enough. Think about those people who have addictions, whether it is food or whatever it is. It is never, ever enough. You will never be satisfied. You're always looking for more. Why? Because you don't seek your enjoyment with God. Isn't that a problem with all of us, brothers and sisters? We seek to indulge the flesh. We seek to fill the emptiness inside of us with material things. We make an idol of ourselves. And that's what keeps us busy. Many of us are always thinking about food and drink and material things. We eat and eat. Well, we charge for our health. Or we think all the time about how we can stay away from food, how we can keep our good figures. But in the end, also, that's very unhealthy, at least if that's your only aim. Some people even bring themselves to vomit or to other desperate means with hopelessness on food and drink. And if we do not think about food and drink, if that's not our problem, then we think about other things to satisfy us, physical things, material things, obsessed about sex, money, power, prestige, our reputation. Those are the kinds of things that keep our minds busy. That's what drives us. That's where we try to find our enjoyment. That's how we want to get our kicks. But in such a pursuit, is there real enjoyment with God? Because
doesn't such a deceit and flesh come through and God doesn't Brother T and I want to find freedom from from slavery to food and drink and all the other things. Now you can only find it in God. Only He can satisfy you. And that is why we need to be reminded of that time and again that we have to daily repent. So how do you find such satisfaction with Him? That's why the Lord Jesus gives us the petition to pray for our daily bread. It's called our daily bread. He's speaking there about our everyday needs. He wants us to pray for the bread that we need today. He doesn't want us to be anxious about tomorrow. In other words, pray only for enough food and drink and all the other things for the enjoyment of life sustain your daily life. He says, enjoy the food and drink that I give you, but don't overindulge yourself. And don't store up for tomorrow because you are afraid you will not have enough. I give you enough food and drink for each day. And that should be enough for you. tomorrow you will die and then there is nothing I give you each day to enjoy and you should be satisfied with that we want to store up riches for ourselves we want to store up food in our bodies we want to fatten our bank accounts but that's not what freedom and enjoyment is all about that is an abuse of the freedom that God gives us for if that is how we conduct ourselves, then we become slaves to food and drink and all the other things. Then we begin to crave it and think about it all the time. It's not that we do not need to plan for tomorrow and think about our needs. It's not that it is wrong to save. But don't think that is the begin-all and the end-all. for you daily. So let me ask you to think about how you conduct your life. How is it with you, brother or sister? Do you perhaps even have a hard time listening to the sermon sometimes because you're so busy thinking about physical things, about material things? Well, be first of all busy with God's things with the riches that he has already given you and that he will give you. Don't think about what others have or what you think you need. Think about what God has given you. Be satisfied. God satisfies you each day. Think about that. Think about what God does in your life. Trust him. It's only then that you can enjoy your food and your drink and all your material blessings. Otherwise, you won't. You'll be anxious all the time. Sometimes the Lord God withholds certain riches from us for health. Do you know why he does that? Well, he does that so that we will have a prayerful life. 
As Christians, we must just learn to be satisfied with our daily bread. And we must live out of the knowledge that God is the one who gives it to us. That we are dependent on Him and no one else. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, For as often I have told you before, and I'll say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. The Catechism says, Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. Brothers and sisters, do you want to enjoy life to the fullest? All of us do. Don't we? I know I do. But then put your trust in God. Seek to please Him with your material blessings. Glorify Him in food and drink that He gives you to enjoy. Glorify Him in body and soul. Glorify Him with all the things that you do with your body, including your sexual relations and all the other things that God gives you to enjoy. God has given you the wonderful gift of life. Enjoy that life to the fullest in the way that he has shown you in his word. In the way that you heard it here this morning when you heard the ten words of the covenant. Enjoy it within those parameters and it will be well with your soul and your body. For on the last day our body is going to be reunited with our soul. God needs for us to live our spiritual lives bodily now and into eternity. What a wonderful God of life we have. Amen.